Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10am right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. To Mount Horeb the mountain of God. Thank you, Aaron. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and beheld the bush was burning, yet it was not being consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebushites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all time. May the Lord bless to us that reading from his word. Let me ask you a question. Simple question. How big is your God? Is he this big? Is he this big? Does he fill your lounge room? Does he fill this building here? Is he big enough to fill, say, the MCG? Just how big is he to you? Is he the same God who created the universe and everything in it? Is he the same God who holds that universe and everything in it in one hand? Is he the same God who formed you in your mother's womb, knitting your bones together, covering them with flesh and muscle and skin? Or is he a tiny, weak reflection of what and who he once was? Is your God big enough to carry you in your times of trouble when you need an arm around the shoulder or a hand to lead you through to the other side? Is he big enough to overlook your weaknesses and love you anyway? Can you rely on him to fight at your side when you are assailed on all fronts? Our God is all that and so much more. The God we as committed, sanctified and redeemed Christians serve is so big, he pervades everything, is everywhere all at the same time. And he lives inside my heart. What about yours? The God we as Christians serve is so much bigger and better than anything in this world. We know that if we really trust him and give our lives to him, there is nothing that can defeat or harm us. I'm not saying that we won't have trials and tests, that we won't be tested beyond our capacities, but I am saying that he will give us the ability to go through them. The new census has just been filled out across this nation. Many people will have claimed that they are Christians or Catholics or some other sort of faith. Sadly, many people who call themselves Christians have no idea of this awesome God we serve. They do not understand the love and the sacrifice that was made for them and don't want to serve him in any other capacity than what's in it for me. These people are so misguided and lost that on judgment day, they will cry out, Lord, Lord, did I not serve you all those years in the church? Did I not call myself a Christian? Did I not give you my tithes whenever I went to church at Easter and Christmas? And as you know, Jesus will reply, Depart from me, 
I never knew you. These people are in our churches today. It's possible that they are even in this church. They come, sit through the service, and at the end, the first words they utter are either profane, obscene, or using his name in vain. Sometimes before they have even walked out the door. These people have never taken Jesus Christ at his word, have never felt the power of his saving grace, have never been touched by the love of the Father. Being a Christian can really get to these people. They feel that all those other people outside the church are having all the fun. How much better it would be if you could just be a Christian when it suited your lifestyle or your timetable? How about just for just that one hour on a Sunday morning? Then you could be free to live as you like for the rest of the week. Could God really want us to live a holy, committed life every minute of every day with every second committed to worshipping him and doing his will. Surely we can live our lives as we see fit. Many who call themselves Christians believe just that. Many believe that if God would only ask us to worship him at certain times or when it's convenient for us, life could be so much more interesting and perhaps less demanding on our time. However, God will not be treated like that. Juan Carlos Ortiz, in his book Disciple, says the gospel which we have in the Bible is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It presents Jesus as king, as Lord, as the ultimate authority, Jesus is at the very centre. The gospel of the kingdom is a Christ-centred gospel. However, in recent times, we've been hearing a different gospel, a man-centred, a human gospel. It's the gospel of the big offer, the gospel of the hot sale, the gospel of the irresistible special deal. The preacher says, people, if you will accept Jesus, and there's a problem straight away because it's Jesus who accepts us, not vice versa. We have put man in the place of Jesus. So man is the important one now. We have been told, people, if you accept Jesus, you will have joy. You will have peace, health, prosperity. If you give Jesus $10, you'll get $20 back in return. This is known as the prosperity gospel, and it is one heck of a trap. It says we should be very rich, very healthy, because this is God's will for his children. We are always appealing to man's interests. Jesus is the saviour we want, the healer. This king is coming back. He is the centre of our gospel today. But our songs and our hymns are often the same. Count your blessings. I am satisfied with Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. 
Our prayers are man-centred. Lord, bless my house, bless my wife, bless my cat, bless my dog, increase my bank account. For Jesus' sake. Amen. That prayer is not for Jesus' sake at all. It is for our sake. We often use the right words, but with the wrong attitude, and we fool ourselves. We are like medieval people who thought the earth was the centre of the universe. They were wrong, and so are we. We think we are the centre of the universe and God and Jesus Christ and the angels all revolve around us. Heaven is for us. Everything is for our benefit. We are wrong. God is the centre. We must change our centre of gravity. He is the sun and we revolve around him. God doesn't want part-time, selfish Christians. He wants full-time, full-on Christians, ready to act upon his work, ready to stand at any hour, no matter what the cost may be. Jesus wants people who love him, who want to serve him, to go where he sends and tell others of the redeeming power of the blood of the Lamb. God expects his children to behave in a manner which gives honour to him and glory to his son, Jesus Christ. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, we accept the responsibilities which go with that decision. We become channels for God to work his will through us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring us to a place where we can be taught and shaped into his image. The Holy Spirit was sent by God to teach and prepare us for the day of his salvation and his triumphant return in glory. John 14, verses 25 and 26, Jesus tells his disciples, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. If we allow God to work through us rather than in spite of us, we become closer to him in every way. As we give him our hearts and minds, he's able to not only use us, but also to draw us deeper into a more intimate and personal relationship with him. This deeper relationship is what a part-time or insincere Christian misses out on. If we treat God as a convenience rather or, I'll do that again, Christ, if we treat God as a convenience or as a last resort, we stand the risk of never receiving the free gift of eternal life. To live life just as you want to or decide is right for you is to live a life just ready for Satan to take control. If we ignore the plan of life as set out in God's word, we ignore and turn our back 
on all God has to offer. If, after tasting the delights of being an unblemished child of God the Father, we then decide to make our life better by shutting him out, we are truly deceived by Satan himself. We become targets for his lies and promises of wonderful riches, an easy life, a better partner, a job that gives power and wealth. Then we become Satan's helpers instead of his enemies. When that happens, God can no longer use us or trust us to do his will. God wants to give all his children the best he has at his command, all the blessings he can bestow, all the riches of his kingdom, and I don't mean money or precious jewels, all the power of his name. He is just longing to shower them down on those who call him Lord. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. This chapter is so important to those of us who claim the name of Christ. Verse 1 tells us who we are, members of God's family. Verse 2 tells us who we are becoming, reflections of God as we grow to be more like him. The rest of the chapter tells us what we have as we grow to remember God the Father. One, victory over sin, verses 4 to 9. Two, love for others, verses 10 to 18. And three, confidence before God, verses 19 to 24. The Christian life is a process of becoming more and more like Christ. To grow in this manner, you have to believe wholeheartedly that God is who he says he is, that Jesus Christ died and rose again to redeem us, and the Bible is the true and literal word of God, not a collection of fables and myths, as you hear so often. This process will only be fully complete when we stand before the throne and look into those eyes of wisdom and compassion and are totally transformed into his image. So, are you still tired of the commitment of a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you still wish that you could be a part-time Christian but still receive all the benefits of membership? Do you still think that all the others are having all the fun? Christ died to bring life to you and to me. He shed his blood for you and for me. Christ, the innocent Lamb of God, sacrificed his kingship, his glory, his power for you and for me. Is that not worth a total commitment? a total surrender to his will, a total yielding of your will and mind? Do you trust God in your daily activities with all your plans and dreams for the future, all your conversations? Is God the head of your house? Is he the welcome guest at every meal? Is he the first one you turn to when things begin to go wrong? 
Can you say, Lord, I yield my will, my pride, my all, whatever the cost, whatever the challenge. God will honour that call. He will take us at our word because he sees our heart. If we are open to the Holy Spirit's leading and open to the voice of God, he will make us open channels to bring others into the kingdom. He wants us to reach out into this broken, confused world and point the way to salvation for those blinded sinners who are going straight to hell if we do not tell them of the love of God. We can't afford to be part-time or selfish Christians. The world out there is perishing, looking for the answers that we possess. We have the answers. We know the way to all that, we are, that they are seeking. We know how to receive eternal life, and it is our responsibility to tell them. Only when we have a totally yielded life do we receive total freedom. Only when we live a totally committed life do we receive, do we receive power and receive it abundantly. We become more usable and acceptable to God's purposes and plans. We become open and honest, reliable and dependable ready to do the will of God our Father and spread the gospel of God's good news to the lost and the dying. Only then do we know that being a part-time Christian, one who only has time for God when it suits us and fits in with all the other things which occupy our time, only then do we know that God demands and expects our all and is not satisfied with anything less. Only then can we be satisfied with our life. We humans are born excuse makers. Almost every one of us, we have an excuse for just about every occasion imaginable. Ah, oh, sorry, the, the, the car broke down and I couldn't make the prayer meeting. Ah, oh, sorry, I couldn't find my keys. Hey, sorry, but the kids were sick all over the place and I had to take them to the shop to buy them some ice creams. Any excuse will do, as long as it sounds plausible. There have been excuses ever since there have been people. Adam first blamed Eve, then God, for his fall into temptation. And his descendants have followed his example by blaming others whenever things go wrong. While some excuses are perfectly legitimate, it should be recognised that making excuses can be very dangerous. Most excuses have an element of dishonesty or deception about them. Not because we want to deceive someone, but perhaps because we don't want to lose face or look silly. If we cultivate the habit of making excuses, we can become deeply involved in taking the easy way out, the soft option, or passing the blame onto someone else who is completely innocent. If we make excuses to not do something, then we stand the risk of missing a unique experience 
or learning a valuable lesson. Making excuses is also a form of escapism. When we fail to accept responsibility for either our actions or our decisions. When you are given an opportunity to offer service to either God or to be helpful to others, do you seek an excuse to avoid or postpone or escape? Do you try and pass it off to someone else? I can't do this. This is a job for the pastor or an elder or one of the leadership team. Anyone who is holier than me, I don't have the ability or the knowledge to handle this. I need to go and study my Bible for a couple of years before I can even think about tackling this sort of problem. The only trouble with this is that God can and does use people from all walks of life to do his work and to achieve his purposes. If you have cultivated the art of the excuse, you can be both comforted and disturbed. Comforted because you are not alone. Almost every person alive makes excuses. You can be disturbed though, because to God, excuses don't make the slightest bit of difference. If he has a job for you, it's better if you just do it rather than try to procrastinate and put it off. A prime example of someone who wanted to avoid God's call was Moses, a man who hid in the desert for years to avoid his responsibilities and was happy and content to live a life of a shepherd. Then God called him from inside a bush which was alight but not burning, calling Moses to free his people from slavery. Moses knew his limitations. He carefully evaluated his own abilities and provided a list of reasons why God should send someone else. His first excuse was his lack of fitness for the task. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses was saying, anyone but me, Lord, I'm just not cut out for that kind of a job. The next excuse was a lack of an exhaustive knowledge about God. When I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say, what is his name? How can I answer them? Moses was declaring, I haven't been to Bible college or a seminary. I haven't even taught Sunday school. He was pleading inexperience and immaturity in the ways of God. The next excuse was a lack of authority and prestige. But God, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say the Lord has not appeared to me. Moses was forgetting God as he made his excuses. He was assuming that his success was based upon his own strength and abilities rather than on God's authority and power. Many people today still make the same mistake and offer the same excuses that Moses offered. His next attempt to avoid God's call was to doubt his speaking abilities. Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. 
Many people today offer that same excuse. I'm not a public speaker, God. I can't sweep an audience of people off its feet and give them a talk. I can't stand up in front of people. Automatically, they assume that they are eliminated from the responsibility of spreading the word of God. Is though that most of God's work is done on a one-on-one basis, sharing God's love with people you come across, friends, family, anyone God leads across your path, sharing God with them in what you do, what you say, listening to others as they try to understand the directions and changes in their lives, giving a sense of stability and hope in a quiet, confident, God-honouring way. Finally, Moses gets to the point of desperation. Please, God, send someone else. Verse 14 of chapter, verse 14 of chapter 4 says, Then God's anger burned against Moses. The amazing thing was that God didn't destroy Moses on the spot. God wasn't angry when Moses felt weak, when he felt under-equipped, when he felt he lacked the credentials, or when he felt unable to speak God's message. That was no problem to God. What angered God was Moses' final excuse. Send someone else. I'm not your man. Moses' excuses were an insult to the truthfulness of God. In each instance, God promised to make him adequate to the task for which he had been called. Moses' excuses were actually declarations of his lack of faith in the promises and power of God. We can't afford to be part-time or selfish Christians. The world out there is perishing, looking for the answers that we possess. We have the answers. We know the way to all that we are seeking. We know how to receive eternal life. It is our responsibility to tell them. Only when we have lived a totally yielded life do we receive total freedom. Only when we have a totally committed life do we receive power and receive it abundantly. We become more usable and acceptable to God's purposes and plans. We become open and honest, reliable and dependable, ready to do the will of God, our Father, and spread the gospel of God's good news to the lost. Only then do we know that being a part-time Christian, one who only has time for God when it suits and fits in with all the other things which occupy our time, is a very poor substitute for the life of a deeply committed and willing child of God. Only then do we know that God demands and expects our all, is not satisfied with anything less. Only then can we be satisfied with our Christian walk and life. So let me ask you again, how big is your God? Is he your all in all, or is he a crutch, a useful tool in times of strife? Is he the one you turn to first, or is he your last resort? 
Can you tell others of all that he has done for you, of the power, the majesty of the King? Can you tell them of the free and eternal gift of life brought with great suffering and pain by the Son of God for each one of us? Is he the only way to reach out to family, friends and complete strangers with the love and truth of God? Or is he just another swear word used at the drop of a hat with no regard to its power and its authority? And only you and God know the answer to that. Amen.